41. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Did you hear that? There were also women. We've been doing a series on characters at the cross. I spoke to you first about Judas, then about Simon Peter. Spoke to you last week about Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus. And I want to speak to you this week about those women at the foot of the cross. I want you to notice as we look at them, that band of women in verses 40 and 41, notice first of all their identity. There were also women looking on from a distance. They were standing at a distance because probably the soldiers disrespecting women would not allow them to come any closer. They were, after all, women. But women were important to Jesus then, and women are important to Jesus now. Do you know that the story, the fact that these women were at the cross, is listed in all four of the gospel accounts? Now, John pays less attention to them than the synoptic gospels. Alicia, what's the synoptic gospels? That's, those are the, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They sort of look at things in the same way, and that's why we call them synoptic, looking through the same eyes, the same sort of vision. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke give special attention to the fact that these women were at the foot of the cross. Women were important to Jesus. Now, in their identity... He says, soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. That's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, by the way. I've jumped from Mark back to the Gospel of Luke. And early during the ministry of Christ, the twelve were with him. Get this in verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... One of them, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. 
I want you to notice from that list and what's said about them, these are women who had been changed by Christ. Women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. You know, we have a tendency even today to identify people by what's going on in their lives. Someone has cancer and all of a sudden cancer becomes what they're known by. Someone has an infirmity, whether it is being deaf, blind, mute, and, and we recognize them, we identify them by their weaknesses, sometimes by their strengths. But those are the things that identify them. I want you to understand, you are not what's happened to you. If you have been abused as a woman, and a significant number of women around us have been, and if you've been abused, I want you to understand, that's not who you are. And it's certainly not who you are with Jesus Christ. Talk about someone who had been changed. Mary Magdalene. Now, in church history, church philosophy, some have presumed that she was a prostitute. There is nothing in the Scripture to indicate that she was. What she was, was insane. She had been possessed by demons. She was looked on as insane by the people around her, and they were incapable of helping her. Uh, I don't know. How many of you have seen the, the new series, The Chosen? Can I see hands? Any of you have seen that? It is a very good representation of the Gospels. One of the things that's pointed out in that version of the story, the way they're interpreting Scripture and dramatically presenting it, is that Mary Magdalene was probably one of the very first touched by Jesus. That is indicated in Luke chapter 8 when it says the twelve went out and so did these women with them. Women were important. And these women were women who had met Jesus, had come to Him in faith, and they had been changed. Listen, there is nothing in your life that God cannot handle. Whether it is disease, disability, sin over which you can't seem to get mastery, there is nothing in your life that God can't handle. Come to Jesus. Allow Him to have first place in your life. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. And He will change you. He has cleansing power. And He has transforming power. These women had, be ch had been changed. Some of you may feel like my past is too rotten. There's too much I've done. There's too much that has happened to me. I could never come to God he would never accept me. I want you to understand your past is not a problem with Jesus. He can heal your past and make you new. They were not only changed, but they had become followers of Jesus Christ. When He was in Galilee, according to Mark 15, 41, they followed Him. I already read to you Luke chapter 8. Verses 1 through 3, how that even when the disciples went out, these women went with Him. They followed Jesus. Uh, Delane, I'm not talking about in a spiritualized sense. I'm not talking metaphorically. Kelly, I mean, 
they walked behind Jesus. There is an old Hebrew saying that they had the dust of the rabbi on their clothing. That, that means somebody who followed a rabbi would walk along with that rabbi, walk along behind him, and as they stirred up the dust on the roads, they weren't exactly walking pavement, Pam, or concrete sidewalks. As they walked along behind the rabbi, Cheryl, they were walking so close behind him that the dust of his feet would cover them. They had the dust of the rabbi on them. Would to God that we would walk so close to Jesus that people could say of us, He looks like He's been with Jesus. She looks like she's been with Jesus. Tracy, I want to walk so close that I feel like He's just all over me. I am covered with Him. I am immersed by His Spirit, by His presence. Everywhere I go, every moment of my life, I'm following so close to Jesus, I have dust on me from Him. You know, it is a radical idea, and I need you to understand this, that Jesus would so closely represent, or so closely present, these women who followed Him. Jesus was radical in His day in the way that He empowered women. I mean, Don, remember, these are the Jews who brought a woman to Him caught in adultery. Did you ever notice, Mary, that the man involved in that adultery was not there? Where was He? Why did they not bring both of them? That's what the law required. But in Jesus' day, women were of little reputation, of little importance. They were considered possessions. They had no power they had no place. And one of the transforming ideas of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that everyone can come to Jesus and that women are important. He protected women in what he taught about divorce. They came to him and said, well, can't we just divorce our wives for any reason at all and any time we want to? He said, no, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And then he added to that Old Testament quote, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. He was protecting the rights of the wife from a husband who wanted someone else. Listen, the Bible is still unapologetically counter-cultural. In our day, it's just the opposite. Men are considered of little importance, and women are considered... that What's being presented is that a woman can do everything a man can do. The truth is, there are things that God created women to do that men cannot do. And they are asking you ladies to give up what's special and unique about you that God created in you. It's not that the Bible plays you down. It is that the Bible lifts you up. Jesus was always powerful and empowering to women in His ministry, and He still is. I want you to notice, though, about those women 
they were a mixed band of women. Now, you, you say, where did you get that band of women? Well, for one thing, it's because I'm a fan of the movie series, the video series, Band of Brothers. That's just, I, I think I could almost quote part of the script of, of that series. I, I love it so much. But these were not a band of brothers. They were, these were a band of sisters. Now, I was trying, I'll be honest, Wendy, I was trying to come up with the title that I would use for that, for this right here that you fill in. And somewhere along the way, I got the crazy idea, Mary, that I would say a gaggle of women. And I thought, oh, um, maybe not. Maybe not. I'll hear about that later, believe me. It was a band of women, women who had banded together under the followership of Jesus Christ. It was a fellowship based on a followship, following Jesus. It says there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph and Salome. Now, I've already named Susanna, I've named the one who was uh, the wife of the man that was over the household of Herod. The thing is, there were poor women and there were rich women in those that are named. There were the common folk and there were the ruling class. There were those who had been healed of diseases and there was even one, Mary Magdalene, the most famous or infamous of all, who had been a lunatic, who had been insane. You talk about a variety of women. Women from all classes, all status. Charles, there were mothers of disciples there. The mothers of John, uh, James and John. The mother of James the Less. There were mothers of disciples there. And yet, there, there, there was a variety of women. You know, that's what's beautiful about the church. That's the way the church is. It, it names them. The twelve were with Him and those had been healed. And these are the ones that I've mentioned. Joanna Herod's, from Herod's house. Susanna we know nothing about. But that's the way the church is. The church is a melting pot of all sorts and all types of sinners saved by the grace of God. That's all we are. Regardless of our background, regardless of fame or fortune, we are but sinners saved by the grace of God, and that refers to every single one of us. All the women of our church were sinners, and are sinners. Well, that's okay. All the men of our church were sinners and are sinners, but praise God, saved by the grace of God. You know what that means? It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what's going, in your, going on in your life right now. You're welcome here. You are welcome to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have your life changed by Him. Anyone can come, no matter what's going on in their life, 
But I dare say you will not leave the same as you came. Jesus loves you too much for that. Well, I want to talk about not just their identity, but also their ministry. It says in Mark 15, verse 41, In Galilee, these women followed Him, and I like this, took care of Him. That's in the uh, contemporary, the Christian Standard Bible. Took care of Him. NIV says, took care of His needs. They adopted Jesus as someone special, someone they loved. That means to me that they cooked for Him. They cleaned for Him. They followed Him around to help Him in any way they could. They took care of Him. It was a ministry. Not, notice that it was a ministry of service. The ESV says they followed Him and ministered to Him. That word means they served Him. They served Him. Listen, they had a special opportunity. I was thinking about this. Judy, I was thinking, they got to not only see Jesus, they saw Him when He was hungry and gave Him food. They saw when His feet were dirty and they washed His feet. They saw when His outer garments needed cleaning and they cleaned them. They served Jesus. Do you have any idea how special that would be? Think about it. What would you give just to see Him? What would you give to touch Him? What would you give to hear the sound of His voice? What would you give to have the opportunity, Laura, of doing something special for Jesus and have Him look you in the face and say, thank you for that. Wow. I tell you what, we need to understand that serving Jesus is a privilege to be treasured. You may not be able to see Him physically, but you can know His presence. You may not be able to wash His clothes, but you can clean His church. You can sweep this floor. You can minister to His children in this place. Sometimes I get the idea when we're asking for volunteers that some of you do that as a favor to me. Well, thank you. I appreciate that you think that highly of me, but I've got news for you. You need to do it with gratitude and do it for Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to volunteer to do something in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it out of joy. Do it as a privilege because you're doing it to serve Him. Don't miss your opportunity of ministry to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice it's also a ministry of support. It mentions Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others, get this, who provided for them, that is Jesus and His disciples, out of their means. They were giving. 
their income, and their possessions. Did you ever wonder how Jesus and the apostles survived for that 30 months, near three years of ministry? They were supported by others. Jesus never, as far as we can find in Scripture, never did a miracle, performed a miracle, to provide for them. Now, he performed a miracle, Joyce, for the feeding of the 5,000, for the feeding of the 4,000, but there's no record that he ever performed a miracle to provide for their own needs except when he sent Peter out to cast a hook and caught a fish and had coins in the fish's mouth to pay their taxes. And he only did that because Peter made a weird promise, a weird commitment. He did not conduct miracles to provide for his own needs. Others provided for him. Listen, it is a privilege to be able to give to God. Everything we have comes from God. Rodney, the very breath, the air we breathe, every breath we take is a gift from God. Like some of you, I have AFib. Sometimes my Brenda will be lying with her ear to my chest and say, your heart's doing weird things. Listen, every heartbeat, regular or irregular, every single beat of my heart, John, is a gift from God. All of our income. You say, well, I worked for that. Who gave you that job? Deuteronomy 8 says, it is God who has given you the power to gain wealth. Everything we have comes from God. And when we give, all we're doing is giving back to Him what He has given to us. Their ministry was a ministry of service and a ministry of support. It was also a ministry of sacrifice. He said there were also many women there looking from a distance, get this, who had followed Jesus from Galilee. That's not getting on a bus and riding for an hour and a half. Now, I, I have to remember, Mary, how long that is in, in a car because it's not all that far for us with the superhighway that's there now and, and driving from the Sea of Galilee uh, to Jerusalem is not that long a trip for us. Ever tried walking it? By the way, I'd love to. I would love the opportunity of walking the mountain, right, mountain route, the mountain path from the Galilee to Jerusalem. That'd be something special. But that's a week trip. That, that's at least a five-day walk if not a full week and they could not travel far on the Sabbath day and they left everything behind like the 12 apostles who left everything behind my reading yesterday actually was when Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And one of the disciples popped up and said, what about us, Lord? 
You're talking about riches. What about us? We've left everything behind. Jesus told him what kind of reward he would have on earth and in heaven. We need to think about sometimes the sacrifices that have been made by our forefathers, by by preachers of the gospel, by missionaries, by those who've left everything forsaken all in order to follow Him. When I surrendered to preach after running from the gospel ministry for a significant part of my life, about five years, when I surrendered to ministry, Brenda and I both quit our jobs. We had decent jobs. We packed up sold everything we could, packed up what was left in the back of a pickup and in the trunk of two cars, and we moved to Florida. I've told some of you in the Sunday school class that when we paid our rent for that month and our down payment on tuition at the seminary, bought groceries that we had $8 left to buy groceries the next week, and neither of us had jobs. But in case you're struggling with that, and God's speaking to you the call, let me tell you that we never went hungry. And all the time that we were in seminary, we never went hungry. God provided jobs. God provided gifts. Was it a sacrifice? Yes, but it's the best thing we ever did in our lives. Talk about leaving home. In 1984, have to get the year right, 1984, we were packing up everything we owned again, packing it in a, Kelly, in a shipping container. We were living in a house that had been converted to a barn and from a barn back to a house. That's what we were living in while we were doing deputation. We had a 20-foot shipping container sitting in the backyard. We were carrying stuff out of the house into the shipping container to ship to Kenya, East Africa. My parents were there to tell us goodbye. I remember walking across the backyard of that old farmhouse carrying a box of something. And I looked up and that green Oldsmobile, Dad's car, was driving down that dirt road just kicking up dust. Donna, they left and they never told us goodbye. Donna couldn't handle it. My dad could not handle looking him in the eye and saying goodbye, not knowing whether he would ever see me again or not. I stood there holding that box paralyzed. And I said, Lord, this is hard. This is hard. Maybe it would have been easy to say, the price is too high. I can't do this. The price is too high. The sacrifice is too great. But Tim, I'm glad when it came time to go to the cross that Jesus did not say the price is too high. What sacrifice has He asked you to make? He may not be calling you to the Gospel ministry. He may not be asking you to go to Africa. But what sacrifice is He asking of you? And what price is too high for you to pay for Him considering all that He's done 
for you. Listen to me. Whatever He's asking of you, surrender to His will today. A ministry of surrender. Then finally, I want to talk about their testimony. And I'm going to share with you several verses about their testimony. Notice, first of all, that, it's, that they were close behind Jesus. Luke 23, 27. In the same passage of Scripture that I shared with you last week about Simon of Cyrene, it says, And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. You remember last week I said that when Jesus turned to speak to the women, there was Simon of Cyrene, and he looked at him face to face. Don't forget he turned around to speak to the women who were following. Listen, Tracy, there was a crowd, a multitude, who were standing up and screaming, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! But these women were following along, and they were against the crowd, they were the opposition to the crowd, and they were crying, they were weeping, and they were mourning Him. While the crowds jeered, they were brave enough to do the opposite. They fought against the crowd. They fought against the current movement of that day. And they mourned the death of their Savior. Listen, today, in this church, in our nation, we need strong women with tender hearts. God has made you that way. Strong, but tender. And we need you. The church needs you. Not only did they follow close behind Jesus, but their legacy is that they were the last at the cross. It says in chapter 23, verse 55 of Luke, as His body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. When Joseph of Arimathea removed the body and took it to the womb, uh, to, the, to the tomb, the, the women followed them and saw where the body was laid. The other apostles, the other disciples had left, but the women stayed. They stayed to the very last. Will that be true of you? They were also the first at the empty tomb. They were last to leave the cross, and they were first at the empty tomb. In Mark chapter 16, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb, but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. God, Kelly, chose women to be the very first to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, women are special to God. They were faithful in the church. 
all these. Now he's talking about the 120 members of the church in Acts chapter 1. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Again, Cheryl, the women are mentioned. These are the same women who followed close behind Jesus, and they were faithful all the way to the day of Pentecost. And they took part in that baptism in the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ of His church and the power of Pentecost. Listen, women have always been important to the church. Always. From the very beginning and throughout history, women have been important. And the church cannot flourish without faithful women. This past week, you know, I didn't know when I scheduled this message that there would be a national day celebrating women. Isn't it funny how God works? I want you to know, women, you are special to us. You are special to God. And you are special to this church. I thank you for your service. For those of you who are not serving, let me encourage you to get involved, to find a place in this church where you can serve the Lord. And ladies, if you do not know Christ, if you're away from Him, maybe you've been saved, but you've drifted away He's waiting for you to come back. He's calling you to come close. He wants to work in your life and He wants to use you. Let me say to the men, our wives are important. They're important to God. My wife's important to me. We need to recognize the special place that women have in the church, in ministry, and in our lives, and to honor them.